Hello, hello, and welcome to the Beautifully Authentic Podcast. I am your host, Erin Faith. This is a podcast where we discuss breaking down the barriers to finding beauty for the body, mind, and soul, because real beauty is being your authentic self. In this podcast, we will be getting real about topics such as love, beauty, spirituality, and our true feelings on the issues of life. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The topic of mental health and suicide has a stigma among families and communities of color. Many people, especially women, are afraid to address and talk about their mental health issues or thoughts of suicide due to fear of judgment. If you or someone you know is struggling, please call the suicide hotline or a licensed professional to get the help you need and deserve. I wanted to have this as a topic of discussion for a while, but I did not want to have the conversation without a trained professional. My guest, Katie Onatiri Hagman, is passionate about helping others. She has a history of more than 10 years working in the criminal justice system, child welfare system, and state hospitals. Her passion is to help communities learn about their mental health, break the cycle of recidivism, addiction, and relational issues. Katie has been an adjunct professor that has taught issues in the criminal justice system and strategies in addiction counseling. Her background includes a bachelor's degree in psychology from Purdue, a master's degree in criminal justice from Rutgers, and an educational specialist degree from the College of New Jersey in marriage and family therapy with extensive mental health counseling courses and training. Please welcome Katie to the show. Welcome to the Beautifully Authentic podcast. I have a wonderful guest here today, psychotherapist Katie Onatiri Hagman. I'm so happy for you to be here today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yes. Hi. I'm so honored to be on your platform. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Katie Onasiri Hageman. As you mentioned, I am a psychotherapist and I have a private practice where I work with families and individuals as well as couples on um, all different types of issues. But my whole goal in working with people is to address generational issues where it's addiction, trauma, um, and breaking the mental health stigma. I also have a uh, other another business where I do self-care, I advocate for self-care and teach people how to apply it to their lives because it's so easy for us to say self-care this, self-care that, but how do you actually apply it, right? So that's what I, I really enjoy doing through public speaking and um, workshops. I love that. I cannot wait to get into everything <laughs> with you. Um, I wanted to talk to an expert about the topic of suicide, um, especially suicide in communities of color. I actually did some, a little bit of research and I saw that, you know, a lot of populations, whether it be the African-American community, whether it be the indigenous Native American community, the Latinx community, there are high levels of suicide, um, but there's also that, I guess, stigma around mental health 
there's not a lot of discussion in those communities about that. And, you know, the topic of suicide has come up most recently because Miss USA 2019, Chesley Chris killed herself. And everybody, you know, that knew her loved her. She seemed like she was a joy to be around. She seemed like a happy person, but she obviously was dealing with some things that maybe she didn't deal with or was trying to deal with and lost that battle. So, and I know like on a personal level, I've dealt with depression since I was like from the age of maybe 14, 13, 14, when I started, you know, becoming a a woman, I guess you would say. And in your work, how often do you see, you know, people of color tackling their mental health issues? Um, So that's a good question. So if it's an agency work where uh, people are mandated to attend, they are there, mm-hmm. um, but it's because they're being made, whether it's through child welfare, criminal justice system, or, you know, something of that sort, family court or something. Um, but when it comes to private practice where I do not take cash, so it's, I mean, I'm sorry, I do not take insurance. So it's usually mm-hmm. people who want to come. Um, I, I do see people that look like me, um, but it, the, um, the population that does that is more of the younger crowd believe it or not Mm. it's not the 40 plus although I get some every once in a while Mm -hmm. um but but I am seeing more of the younger generation who want the help wow and that actually makes sense because I know in our community of color (laughs) mental health and depression is often ignored and like, even when I was growing up, I was told if I, you know, expressed that I had depression or something, I was told to pray it away. Basically, you need to pray more. You're not reading your Bible enough. You're not, you're just thinking that you're depressed. You're not really depressed. Um, so I can see how that age bracket is just not seeking the help that <laughs> they need. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Suicide doesn't just happen overnight. Somebody just doesn't wake up and say, oh, I want to kill myself today. It builds up over time. And I guess maybe I'm trying to figure out how to go. (laughs) There's so many things going on in my head right now. When you were talking about um, your background and you were talking about self-care, I want to kind of delve into that and talk about what is self-care, like real self-care. A lot of us will go shopping in the name of self-care. We'll drink some copious amounts of wine in the name of self-care, or we'll just eat something. Like right now I have Girl Scout cookies next to me and I'm going to eat them for breakfast because of (laughs) self-care. But what is (laughs) is true self-care? Yeah. So, you know, so let's, I think you have a good starting point here because when we're trying to talk about what you need to do to prevent suicide, we need to start with the Mm self-care. So, you know, good self-care is actually taking care of that mental, emotional health. 
that's where it really is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, um, getting your nails done or getting your hair done or getting a massage, that's good because it makes us feel good. But the root of the issue is in the in, in mental, emotional, and soul needs. We don't mm-hmm. fulfill that enough. So when we talk about self-care, it's what are you doing to love yourself? Wow. So that caring is really doing, Mm -hmm. right? And when we're really doing, it don't feel good. So self-care don't always feel good. I love that. Okay. Okay. Right. And when I say that, I mean that, you know, to tap in on those traumas, that don't feel good in the moment. But what we look at, what we're looking for is the longevity of that well-being, that good mental health. So mental health is everything. That's that. Um, that's that's everything that has to do with self-care. And when I like to talk about self-care to people, I talk about it on seven different dimensions, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the mental, emotional, spiritual, also soul is spiritual, is connected. Um, financial, uh, practical. So that's like keeping things clean and organized. Uh, let's see, I said emotional. Uh, it's like all those things, the, the physical I mentioned. So that's the working out, eating well. Um, the, it's so many compartments to ourselves that we want to make sure we're good. Mm-hmm. And in order to be good, you have to make sure that you are keeping those things in a line because when you don't, you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get pain. Pain's going to come up. If you don't address traumas that has happened to you, you can ignore it. You can suppress it, but then it shows up in different ways. That emotional well-being will pull you down. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, I resonate with this. (laughs) So I have a question. What are some of the ways that the unresolved issues can show up in your life? That's a good question. So when you just find that you're unhappy, Mm. you could have the man of your dreams or that significant other person of your dreams meaning like this person can be a good person Mm -hmm. and they could be good for you but you're not gonna see it because you're gonna find everything else and you're going to take that and you're going to harp on that that you're gonna find misery right Mm -hmm. um you where you have emotions that you misplace right and what I mean by that is that you may have jealousy and it can come off so stink to other people right mm-hmm. and you don't may not know what you're doing but if somebody tell you something that's going good in their life you don't show up for them wow. and that can mean like all different types of ways right mm-hmm. um this can mean that you know you're angry all the time and you don't know why this can be you just crying this can be you having anxiety where you just overthink and think and think and you can't even get yourself to rest because you are so exhausted and thinking and trauma also hurts and I mean hurt but you don't even know like you don't even know that you're in pain because you have dealt this with this pain for so long mm. that when you finally get relief you may notice that crink in your neck that's always been there when it goes away 
you get a sense of relief that you never even paid attention to or knew really because you've been right. living it so it goes on and on. I can talk about this all the whole time <laughs> keep it coming <laughs> yes so much and uh people don't realize it because when we talk about what the first thing I said is generational patterns and the reason why that's so big and so important in our community African-American community or people of color is that when we talk about slavery or being enslaved and we go back generations and generations. And I don't know if any of you uh, ever read the Willie Lynch letter. No. Okay. So the Willie Lynch letter is about this uh, European or, or someone of uh, Caucasian descent who came to America to teach other slave owners how to keep a slave a slave and not just a slave but to keep to slave them in their emotions and in their well-being right Mm -hmm. that if you leave your land that these slaves will be too afraid to leave and for generations to generations they will be enslaved right and so what he wrote was so powerful he talked about taking the black man of the family and making him less than and then taking the children and, and, and things away and what it does and how that will keep them in slaves for generations to come mm-hmm. and unfortunately as we know some of us still have that slave mentality even how we parent Definitely. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not okay to beat your kids with belts and things, right? And just mm-hmm. because we were raised in that way doesn't mean we have to carry it. Mm-hmm. But we tell ourselves we do. So right. that brain and that enslavement and, and, our, and how we teach each other and how we raise, like that not talking about things like mental health, that's an enslaved thought process. It definitely is. Wow, I'm just thinking about how like from generation to generation, things are passed down, that trauma is passed down. Like my parents, uh, they didn't attend an integrated school until middle school. So, you know, they grew up, they were raised by parents with trauma. You know, they had their own trauma and were just raised by that. So I feel like this generation the generation that you and I are in and the generation behind us, we're definitely breaking, trying to break those barriers. I mean, you brought up beating with belts. I remember one time I spanked my daughter and like, she didn't really have that much of a reaction. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, I got to beat her harder because, you know, she needs to learn. But then I stopped and I'm just like, why am I actually like beating her? Am I beating her because my mom beat me or am I beating her because I feel like beating her will change her behavior? And I realized that beating her was not changing her behavior. I was just beating out of that generational requirement of beating your kids, you know, especially in the black household. And wow. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's, and I love that you gave that example, because let me tell you something, it is not easy changing these generational patterns. It's Mm -hmm. not because we can say all day that I'm not going to do that when I'm a parent and I'm not going to do this, but naturally it comes out of us. It does. It's so many times where I have to catch myself and be like, Katie, don't do it. (laughs) It's and second then nature. I have to do that, that clarity, what you said, like, okay, mm-hmm. 
why why am I doing this? It doesn't make sense. Is this going to help my child really understand and learn not to do this behavior? Like, how can I make it a teaching moment, right? Right. And the truth is, whatever you make a child think that is really scary and uh uh-oh, they're going to believe it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They don't need a belt to believe that they're going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. You just say, I'm going to get you. <laughs> right? right that is powerful it's the the power is in the parent team mm-hmm. right so yeah I, I I like that you said that so even with like parenting we'll do these we'll spank because it's like we were spanked and it's second nature but I feel that also carries over in the way we handle things in emotional um capacities and like drama in our family so I don't know if in your family this happens, but I know in a lot of families that I know, even my own family, we don't talk about anything. Like we might talk about it like at a high like surface level, but then it kind of gets shut down. And I feel like that carries over in our personal life. Like even like that internal battle, we might be feeling a certain way, but we don't let ourselves kind of like go further and be like, okay, why am I feeling like this? I need to do something about this. We just say, oh, I don't feel that. Or I do feel that, but I have to push through because I'm not doing enough or I'm not, I'm doing something wrong because I feel that way. I don't know. But um, how can one avoid doing that? Avoid like bypassing your feelings basically. Yeah, so I love that you said that because secrets are big again in, in our culture. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the reasons why people don't express their emotions because we don't know how. And it's because we have this, we have tones that we, we have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Nonverbal cues and verbal tones that we set for the family, right? And so we give that culture of what happens in the home stays in the home, or we don't talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you watched that Disney, uh, I don't know if it's a Disney cartoon, but Encanta. Oh, Encanta, We yes. don't talk about Bruno. Bruno, right. right. Mm-hmm. That was so powerful to me as a family therapist because it's true. We don't talk about Bruno. And when we say, when I'm saying that, I'm saying we don't talk about those sex offenders. Right. right? That's abusing. We mm-hmm. don't talk about the domestic violence people that's beaten on such and such, right? Mm-hmm. And what that does is that we're teaching our kids that that's okay, Mm -hmm. right? And if something happens, we don't have this open door policy to talk about certain things. Um, I know one of the biggest things that I changed in my family was when it came to private parts, I teach my kids the correct name for their private parts. Yes. We're going to call that a penis because that's what it is, Mm -hmm. right? We're not going to call, you know, vaginas, pocketbooks or her. (laughs) No, because I have a, a background in child welfare too. And unfortunately, when such things happen and kids are sexually abused, they aren't able to verbalize what happened. Right. Because it doesn't make them comfortable. They don't really understand. And um, 
they don't really understand and they're not able to put the right words with what it, things belong. So the defense attorney eats it up and goes with it. And unfortunately, the person who does this, A, don't get enough time or B, they're still out because mm-hmm. they're not convicted. Right. So that's an example of why, you know, and when we talk about generational stuff that we need to not have secrets, we need to verbalize because it, even though you think you're keeping your kids safe, you're really harming them in the long run. Right, right. And I, I, I made sure I taught my daughter to say vagina, not PP or... <laughs> You know, because it's it's definitely true. Like those kids cannot verbalize what has happened to them and what was done to them. So um, now in adults, it's even hard for adults to verbalize like what's it's going on. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Listen, if I say vagina or a penis, some adults cringe. Mm-hmm. They cannot. They be like, oh, and they can't even talk to their kids about sexual stuff but that's our stuff Mm -hmm. and it's how we uh if we have a hard time verbalizing that we have to check our stuff what is it that makes me uncomfortable this is science Mm -hmm. my kids have these body parts I have these body parts right right so we have to explore that definitely have to explore that I love that on an emotional standpoint, even let's talk about women. We have, you know, and let, more specifically, let's talk about mothers. I feel like mothers, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not in this world, but I feel like mothers probably make up a lot of the people who are depressed and who experience depression. So for example, I have a couple of friends and even myself, have gone through, I guess, postpartum depression. And um, there's times where like a couple years ago, I was in a really bad place. And it was a time where I'm like, the only reason I'm on this earth is because of my child, you know? And if she wasn't here, I would have already (laughs) made my way out basically. And I had to like really deal with that. So in your profession, do you see a lot of mothers struggling with the same things? Um, I'm like, is it just me and some of my friends that are, that have gone through it? Yeah, no, it is real. I'm going to put it on myself because I too struggle with postpartum and I didn't know what it was because we typically in the black community, right? Women are, and this is another family script that is put down from generation. Women are supposed to be strong figures. Mm -hmm. They're not supposed to feel, you're supposed to take care of everyone. You're supposed to do, 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 right? And I, and because my mom never talked about if she was sad or she had things going on, like, right? You could see it a little bit, but she get right back to it. You know what I mean? Um, or she'll be in her room closed in and we wouldn't see why she was closed in, but now mm-hmm. I know better, right? Right. Um, so I say all that to say that it is there. And I think that for the Black women, it looks different. So when we hear people talk about postpartum and we see like the Caucasian woman display it and it's like, we judge. I know mm-hmm. I do. And mm-hmm. I'm like, 
exhibit it. Stop crying. Yeah. Yeah, commit to it, right? Um, but it, it definitely looks different amongst us. Um, and we need to be able to identify that and know. And then when you have a child, um, it, it sometimes it doesn't show up right away. And I think that's where people don't think that it's postpartum. Mm-hmm. It may not show up when the child is one month, two months, three months. Sometimes it happens when they're six months, one years old, right? You can have postpartum. I think they say all the way up till I could be wrong on this, but I think it's five. I believe it. Yeah. Um, because and your body goes through different changes and it depends on what you're going through with the child's father. Like it's a lot of things that's in there. And I just say that we need to give grace to ourselves and educate, 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 because it looks different. It absolutely do. One of the things for me where I didn't catch that I had it is that I would go and spend a lot of money. Really? I would go and spend a lot of money for each child. I realized that <laughs> that after I had the baby around four or five months, I'll go on a shopping spree with unnecessary stuff. And then I'll feel guilt later that I bought all that stuff. It was like, I would just all of a sudden do it. So, so we do have to pay attention to our behaviors and realize what's not normal, Ooh, right? Wow. Not normal, but normal for you, I should say, because I don't like to say that word normal, but normal for your behaviors, right? Because what somebody else do is going to be different than what you usually do. And if you realize that, okay, I don't really act like that. Or if you get angry faster than before, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have hormones that's going through our body. So it's not that, you know, we, you know, intentionally have these thoughts. We have science that's happening in us, Mm -hmm. biological effects. Um, and, and so we need to be paying attention to that, our emotions and how we respond that maybe you have to think, okay, before I was pregnant, did I react like this? Right. No. <laughs> right? Give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. And you have a whole human. <laughs> a whole human. A yes. whole human. And life changes. It does. And so I hope I answered your question. No, you definitely did. And I'm happy to hear that postpartum depression can last longer than I guess previously, you know, identifier we thought it lasted. Now, this is just because of my ignorance. Can postpartum depression lead to just full on depression? Just in, you know, I'm saying like, can it just lead to the depression? Or if you dealt with depression before you had the kids, is it just that same depression that you had before you had? Well, it's a little bit of everything, honestly. Okay. It's a little bit of everything. Um, so it just depends on in life, uh, you know, if you ha- ha- always, so it's, it, genetics plays a part in it. Mm-hmm. Environmental issues and situations play a part in it. It just depends on what you've had going on. So whatever your mental status has been, and if you never really effectively dealt with stuff, mm-hmm. then having the baby and having your body shooken up, I would say, can definitely uh, be connected to past stuff. Um, and if you never had anything that happened in the past where you felt depressed or anything. You still having a baby still shakes you up and it can create new, um, you know, depressed situations. But mm-hmm. I do like to tell people and definitely define the differences that you can be sad, right? Sad is a feeling, is emotion, it's normal. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody have a, a time where they're sad. The difference between being sad and being in a depressed state is that how many days you sit in it, if you change what you like, like if all of a sudden you don't, your behaviors just start to change. Mm. So you can wake up one morning and feel a little down. That's okay. Allow yourself to feel sad. Mm -hmm. And I think that people get scared of those things. No, you, you, God gave you emotions to feel. Right. So the problem is, is when we try to deny that feeling, we want to sit in some of it and just let it happen naturally. But when you sit too long and it affects your behaviors, that's when it becomes a problem. When you don't, when you stop doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's good to incorporate some good skills because what happens is this is how we get into suicide. Mm -hmm. If you feel these emotions and you stay in the sadness, and then you find where you're not doing anything that you like. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not taking care of others. You're failing to do responsibilities. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to hear nothing from anybody, right? That's when you need to be checking yourself to say, okay, I think I need help, right? That's mm -hmm. when you start reaching out. Not when you've been there for months, right? Because that's now you're in that scary phase where now you, that pain that you're feeling and how you feel mm -hmm. is what leads to depression. I mean, what leads to suicide. And when people are suicidal, they're not thinking, I want to really just kill myself because that's a thing to do. Mm -hmm. They're thinking, I want to end this pain. Mm. Right. It's unbearable. They're not thinking about other people. Right? right. So when people say, oh, get it together, you'll be all right. That's not that's not their mind frame. Their mind now has entered another level that they cannot control. Mm. So when one is heading towards and I hope, you know, people would try to deal with uh, their emotions before they got to this scary place. But what are some of the skills or steps that they can take? to not reach that scary place. And my question is two part, once they have reached that scary place of, you know, the suicidal thoughts, what can they do to um, combat that and, and, and deal with that? What are some of the skills? Wrapping it back to the self-care. Mm. You gotta take care of you now. Stop putting everybody in front of you, even your kids, because guess what? You're not gonna be able to be there for your kids in the way that you want to. You want to be present. You wanna be mm -hmm. in the moment. You don't wanna be over consumed with your thoughts and things. So take care of yourself now. Do what you need to do to attack that emotional and mental health. See a therapist. You can choose someone that looks like you. You can choose who you wanna see. And I'll leave that resource for you where it's a directory, it's different directories where you can find a clinician of color in your state. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. Um, you want to do things, believe it or not, eating healthy and, and working out plays a big part because it gives you that energy. Mm -hmm. All, everything is science. Our bodies are science, meaning like it's true. You have to eat right. You eat right, you feel right right so even mm -hmm. those heavy uh, saturated foods make you feel horrible um i said working out um making sure that you are creating healthy boundaries right mm -hmm. people that you have relationships with just because you have a relationship with them don't mean it's a healthy relationship 
Mm. People can be holding you back and holding you down. So you want to make sure that they are going in the direction that you need. As a matter of fact, sometimes you might find that you're sad or your mood changed because somebody who is in your circle. Right. Right? Right. And you do, if you're not mentally sound yourself, meaning like you struggle with feeling sad and depressed and all those things often, you want to create a boundary not mm-hmm. that you can't love them because you want to still show that you love people right but you got to create a boundary where you say hey I'm going to see a therapist and I think it was probably a good idea for you to see one too right mm-hmm. like find ways to to get them the help so you can get the help push right. them off of you um and then if you are at the point where you're feeling suicidal they have suicide numbers call them call 911 that's the number to dial call 911 cuz 911 will get you to those numbers it's a okay. suicide hotline that you can call to and they will talk to you to talk you through it to get you the help you need it's okay they have so many resources out it just depends on where you live to know um, who to go to but 911 is that direct number wherever you are and they have that for you awesome and it will definitely put your contact information in the show notes and the information to the suicide hotline. Um, I do want to ask you about uh, medicine. I have, I'm trying to think in 20, when I say it was 2015, 2016, maybe I had started taking a depression medication that was prescribed from my doctor and it was depression. And then I had like an anxiety medication where I would take, I guess, as like a 911, <laughs> um, you know, when I was starting to have an anxiety attack. And a lot of people who know me, I don't usually exhibit a standard, like anxious, you know, uh, behavior. And I know that anxiety and depression looks different, but I really dealt with some really bad anxiety, but I will say that that medicine, it caused me to be numb and I couldn't feel. And at first I was like, oh yes, I don't feel a thing. This is great. But then I just started like kind of like going downhill with the medicine, even though the medicine, I guess, was working and I didn't feel anymore. There were certain things that were still there. I actually, I eventually like weaned myself off of the medicine because I was addicted now to not feeling anything. Then when I started feeling again, I was like, oh God, I need the medicine again. But how do you, what is your stance on medication? I know that, yeah, I, I know that each person has a different um, yeah. Thanks. So I believe that some people absolutely do need medicine. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, so psychiatrists are the ones who prescribe medicine. And sometimes I do have to refer my clients to, to a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. However, um, if you see a psychiatrist from medication monitor, monitoring, people don't understand that that is the psychiatrist's job. That is what they are. They are only trained to give medication. They're mm-hmm. medical doctors who give, they know how to give medication. So I, I recommend that you are seeing a talk therapist, a psychotherapist, that mm-hmm. you can do both. Okay. 
and that you advocate for yourself. So don't just wing yourself off. You need to be talking to that psychiatrist and tell them like, listen, I am feeling this way. I don't like it. And see if they suggest something else and be working with the psychotherapist, the talk therapist that can give you those coping skills you need along the way. Mm. I agree with what you're saying. Like, I don't think that medication is a permanent way to have healthy coping skills. It is to help because some, some people get in such a bad space that they need it to get them back to their baseline. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that you should just use by itself. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Um, well, we're going to wrap up. I want you to tell the listeners how to find you. And I know that you have, you're an author as well of a journal and kind of just talk about the services you provide before we go. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at day self-care that is a D E self-care and on my website, www.adayselfcare.com. Um, and that is where I have my journals. I have a journal called An Entrepreneurial uh, Guide to Overcome Self-Doubt. For This is for entrepreneurs or people who want to have their own business, but have a lot of self-doubt and anxiety about it. So it's a guided journal where you do different activities to help you overcome that so you can have a clear plan and be successful in your business. And then I also have a family journal for your a mother or child or any parent, caretaker and child where they can bond the relationship and, and, and have healthy communication. Um, and then I have my therapy on the side, which is um, lfgtherapy.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank um, you. I'll be sharing everything in our show notes and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you would like to connect or be a guest on this podcast, hit me up at eFaithBeauty on Instagram. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.